You're now listening to The Alternative Idiots, where facts don't matter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Alternative Idiots. It is Fran, yeah, boy, and I'm being joined by the greatest. To my right, I have the Kid Castro. Yeah. How you doing, bro? Are you enjoying the weather? Oh, yeah, man. It's nice, bro. Finally. Only took, it feels like it took oh, like years for this to get warm, but I'm, I'm just glad, man. I'm just glad. Did you enjoy the season finale of Game of Thrones? Um, I didn't hate it and I didn't love it. So it's kind of like, a, yeah, I, I, I fucks with it. Yeah, I'm not satisfied, but I can't say I'm, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't make me happy in some ways. So there we are. I'm also joined by the marvelous Steve. How are you doing, Steve? Estamos bien. bien. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We are so happy to have you on board. Um, I would like to first remind you that we have a whole bunch of different social media platforms all across the world. You would like to remind everybody that they can find us on multiple podcasts. Platforms. Platforms. That's what you're looking for. Yes, you can uh, you can find us all over the place in the internet. Not limited to Instagram at Alternative Idiots. That is also our name on Twitter. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and like Fidel said, all major podcast platforms. So go check us out, please and thank you. We are also on Twitter, like you mentioned, at Follow the Facts. That's Follow the F A X for the most relatable dankest memes. You've ever heard in your whole life. Wait, can you hear memes? You can if you try hard enough. What? <laughs> you want acid, nigga? Uh, no, that's a drug, and I am a, uh, a very sano Christian man. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We are continuing our part two of the Chanel Lewis trials. Um, a quick recap on our last episode. If you haven't heard it, please listen to it. I highly recommend it. Very informative. And uh, it will definitely help you make a better, more informed decision on the topic which we're, we're speaking of. Um, now, like I was saying, a quick recap. This this trial consists of the murder of 30-year-old Karina Vetrano, uh, a young lady that was killed in Queens while she was out jogging. Um, the, the person that committed the murder was Chanel Lewis, a young man that uh, was recently convicted of murder. Now... Uh, on our first part, we discussed of the confessions, of the procedures that the officers used to uh, find him, and of overall how we felt that he was being led to a conclusion that he may not have been, uh, that he may not have agreed with for his on his own. Though in this case, we we had a feeling that the NYPD had a lot of pressure on him to come up with results, and after a very long period, this was a very high-profile case. Uh, it went dry for three months and... Actually, it went dry for six months. Yeah, yeah. It went total for six months and then a lieutenant was able to recall um, an incident that happened three three months prior to the murder. So basically nine months back. Yeah. Um, he saw Chanel Lewis walking around the neighborhood and he looked suspicious. So he... They were able to pinpoint him. You know, they were able to do like some swabs and they found Chanel Lewis. Yeah. And that's how they got him. Yeah, and the rest of it was kind of history. They, they, but one, one detail that they want to add that I think we missed in the last 
episode was that Chanel Lewis was cooperating, you know? Um, he willingly let the NYPD into his home. He willingly allowed them to do a DNA test. And um, he, he willingly went in and did an interview. Now, what we want to focus on this episode, part two, is on the trial. Just because there was there, there were a lot of things that happened during these trials that I, I feel were, I don't know, a bit odd, in my opinion. Uh, the first trial happened in August of 2016. Um, and that ended in uh, a hung jury. Yeah, it was deadlocked. The jury was deadlocked. Um, and it was, and I quote, it was hopelessly deadlocked, whatever that means. So it seems, in my opinion, that the people, the jurors were very, felt very strongly about their opinion because you wouldn't feel hopelessly deadlocked otherwise, in my opinion. Now, when this occurred, we moved on to a, to a second trial that occurred at the beginning of this year, January 2019, which is where I feel is you, you also get some sense of how, how, odd and confusing this case was now one thing that all the jurors kept mentioning is how quick everything happened yeah like everything was sped up and the foreman the judge were kind of like pushing to to get this done as quickly as possible yeah to get it out the spotlight because this is a big case in new york and everybody knew about it so it's there's parts where the judge kind of denies some evidence to be put into especially like i believe there was a letter um pretty much Yes. A letter that was thrown in there, but then was denied by the judge not to be read to the jury. Right, right. Actually, because what happened was, so actually to go back to the beginning, before even that, um, we had a few jurors uh, speak about what was going on during during this whole decision process. And one thing that stood out to me while I was reading some of the some of the uh, some of the files and some of the information on the cases was that a lot of the Caucasian jurors, I want to say. Yeah. Seemed and and I, I want to emphasize that this information came from other jurors. This is what they were saying. Yeah. Um, that if some other Caucasian uh, jurors came in with a decision, it seemed like they really didn't need to be. They, they didn't, didn't really need to see the evidence. They already made the decision before it even started. They didn't have to deliberate at all. No, they were like, okay, we know he's guilty. That's it. Let's get over with. It. Yeah, let's just move it forward. He did it. Let's just but you he know, open a shut was, case. He doesn't want to say that it was a race thing, but it just felt a little weird that they were like already boom set. But that's the thing that even when I was reading the files, even though he said, "Oh, you know, this wasn't race related," you know, to say that as soon as the jury walked in, they already had a decision without even seeing yeah. the evidence, while. You know, it is there is a race difference. Eh, I don't know. It's, it seems a bit implied, but I know that these things are also they, these jurors aren't picked out of random. They 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 they're very carefully chosen. Um, and like you mentioned, after the jurors already made their decision, this is when they found out about this letter. So what happened was that prior to the trial, a letter was sent to the judge, uh, Michael B. A Lewis, Michael uh, B. A Lewis, a, Lewis yeah. um, a, a letter that op- that seemed to open up some questions about the investigation, about the procedures that the NYPD used, and overall, kind of, it, it was a letter to lead to a mistrial. In my, that w- that could have led to a mistrial, in my opinion, yeah. uh, and something that the jurors didn't have as evidence. Uh, it, it, the, the jurors stated that they found out about this letter after they made the decisions and that they even attempted to um, force a mistrial so that they could review this evidence and make a better decision, which the, the judge threw out, uh, yeah. Michael also, B. Alois. I know one thing that the judge also did was 
Chanel Lewis's um, attorneys were trying to actually make it into a mental, a mental illness trial. Like, you know, he had a problem. So he shouldn't be trialed as, like, you know, competent. And the judge said no. But as we mentioned before in the first episode, we said that he did come from a school from learned, learned disabilities. So it was didn't seem like why wasn't there an like, evaluation about his mental health? Like, where was he? And then to see, like, a psychiatrist or, you know, a therapist, whatever, be able to evaluate this and actually say something to the court about his mental health or what what kind of person he is. Is he able to comprehend what he did? Right. Should he really go to jail or should he be going to a mental institute for the rest of his life? You know, like, there's a big difference between having somebody that is mentally ill and somebody that's a blatant sociopath that wants to just kill people. Yeah, that's very true. And I also did get the sense that the jurors did want to do the right thing. They really wanted to take their time and make the right decision because the last thing they wanted was to convict an innocent man. I mean, we've all often seen cases, especially here in New York, where um, even with DNA evidence, they get this, um, this get wrong conviction. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, I mean, an example that's, that's constantly used to compare is... Um, the Central Park Five. Well, well, they're basically where they got the confessions out of those five kids, and yeah. they didn't make any sense. And they, you know, later on they recanted their their confessions because they felt pressured. Yeah. So it is. This goes to show you that even though you have a a, a person confessing to a crime, doesn't necessarily mean that the person is actually um, in fa- at fault of that crime, and that many things go into it. Uh, a trial is very complex. Just because certain things seem obvious don't mean that they are the way they are, you know? It is very important in these trials, especially if they're of this type of nature, where they're very high, high profile, we need to take our time and we need to make sure that all turn, all rocks are turned to make sure that everything is good. And, I, and again, when I, when I read these files, I don't get that feeling. I feel like this was very rushed. Yeah, it, some jurors even stated how... It seemed like the judge won the decision within that same day. Yeah, but like getting on to that, like you talk about the DNA, like the DNA evidence that was found, it was like some of it was like she was strangled on her neck, but then the necklace that she had, there was nothing on it, which is kind of weird. Like if you're strangling somebody, most likely your neck, you know, some DNA would land on that, on the necklace. Right. So it's almost like, what was the procedure that the police did? Like, was there you know was something contaminated yeah that's i think part of the letter was kind of you know everybody's talking about how everything was handled because it just doesn't make sense certain things like when you try to connect it like i'm not saying any case is going to be perfect but certain things is just like and that's kind of a gaping hole right there like that doesn't that doesn't match up pretty good yeah and i think that was the, the the theme throughout the whole case this doesn't add up even while he was confessing to the crimes it just didn't add up it didn't make much sense and that was something that instead of looking into it, it was just thrown out. They were like, listen, we need a, we need a verdict now. It doesn't matter whether or not that makes sense. We need a decision now. Yeah, and also like the whole rape thing, because there was a lot of talk if you watch the confession. that They lead, they asked him about the raping, did you touch her inappropriately? But then there was nothing really found, evidence that links him to actually sexually violating the victim. So it's also like, why wasn't that leaned on during yeah. the trial? It's almost like the judge, even his attorneys are kind of like speeding through also. Yeah. Actually, that is something that, again, the jurors mentioned where they didn't feel very confident about the evidence that was demonstrated about the sexual abuse. They didn't feel compelled um, and they didn't feel like there was a good case built for that. Uh, and it's something like, it, if there is any doubt, then there needs to be um, mistrial. a mistrial or, or, you know, just 
do another or he's found not guilty but then also so that's double jeopardy because you can never try him again unless something crazy comes up uh, after that but yeah. yeah it just seems like the judge wanted everything to get like you said before they just rush it um it seems like he was suppressing information almost yeah he didn't want everything to be well known mm-hmm. and also you know like i already i said it once his mental health issue like i i, I don't know why that wasn't focused on like this you can kind of see it yeah you know i don't want to assume that you can just look at somebody and say oh that he's not right you know or they got some type of mental you definitely don't want to do that we don't want to pass judgment like that but you know when you watch the confessional you start seeing that he's being led he also didn't even have somebody with him an actual lawyer to tell him hey you can actually be quiet you Mm -hmm. know you're incriminating yourself because actually you he might be getting led on because that's what if you watch the the whole confessional it just looks like he's getting led on and then he recants this later on he says no i didn't do it when he's actually being able to get some advice because at the end of the day if you've been in a in a precinct for so many hours and you feel like you're not going to get out you might just please you might do whatever they want is Stockholm syndrome basically exactly exactly another element that added some complexity to the case was how there were some allegations that jurors were being coerced um so there's a lot of information on here and some of it contradicts itself but for the most part what i understand is that two jurors maybe three depending on where you get your your information from um some police officers approached them um and were trying to coerce them into you know a, a, a guilty verdict for for the conviction of chanel lewis which if that is the case is it is that illegal yes yeah you, you can't intimidate uh, witnesses. No. Um, and again, if, if if this is happening in a case where there is allegations of coercion within the jury, within the jurors, I think that needs to be looked into and that needs to be investigated. And that needs to be added to the case that time, more time would need to be given in order to look into these allegations and thoroughly investigate, which wasn't done. The, a conviction was passed incredibly quickly and... There was no time. And like I mentioned earlier, the jurors wanted a mistrial to review evidence that was withheld from them. And this was not possible because of the judge. And, you know, and then that's the thing. It's almost, I feel like we're all just saying the same thing again. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the judge is the the main question. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the evidence, we, we can keep talking about it. But it's almost like the judge should know what to be allowed inside of a case. But yeah. it seems like everything that might help Lewis a little bit he just says no to it right away and it doesn't help the doesn't help us see him in a better light no basically um but he was convicted it's a life of no parole yeah. no chance of parole yeah uh, life no chance of parole we are expecting an appeal from Chanel Lewis's mother um the defense team is currently working on something uh but it, it is just an unfortunate situation from all angles it is it is my heart goes out to the family of uh Katrina Vetrano uh, they're going through a very difficult time. My fam- my heart goes out to the family of Chanel Lewis. Um, you know, e- even if he did commit this murder, it's not easy to see a son, especially with in his condition, to go to jail. It, it is a very difficult situation, and it's something that affected the whole city. But yeah, it's, it's, it was a very interesting case, and the media coverage was intense. I mean, I felt like this new, this thing was all over the place. I think they even made international news. Well, it was because uh, first happened in New York, and then also there was a woman in Boston that had she was also right. jogging and she got murdered also so it kind of became a whole thing where it's like are women even safe to go outside yeah which is really sad it is it is and uh, it, it you shouldn't feel unsafe to jog you shouldn't feel just, yeah especially in your neighborhood you should be able to just go run 
enjoy yourself, mm-hmm. stay fit, and go home. And not worry about somebody trying to kill you. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I found interesting, and this is just my opinion, is Chanel Lewis walked to the park, and then he saw this young lady, and he murdered her. But one thing that I find interesting is that Chanel Lewis was walking in a New York City street, which are current, which are usually incredibly vi- busy. You know, he must have passed by hundreds of people. Why did he target this young lady? You know. Well, from my understanding, is that she's he's been to that park area before. Mm-hmm. He happened to see her, and he says that he was still upset, and then he just hit her. Right. Actually, from him, from his perspective, what he said was that he just lost it, whatever that means. Yeah. So he just lost it, and he attacked her, and he unfortunately committed this murder. But it's just weird to me. Like, how did you pass all these people, and then you targeted this young lady that you've never met, that you've never seen, it seems like, um, just for no reason? You know? yeah. I mean, one thing that I, at least from the trial perspective, I felt like, and it does matter who's your, your lawyers. Of course. And we don't know financially who he was able to get as law, as lawyers. Because I feel like there was a lot of police misconduct that they could have been talking about. Yeah. Such as, like, you know, the whole phone call. And he said that the family never got. I mean, they could have requested a phone log. Yeah. At least from either either from the parents so they can show that there is no call from the precinct. Or the precinct shows that they did call. Like, the certain things that you notice that nobody's actually giving, like, any thought about. Right. Um, also, the process that we talked, like I mentioned earlier, was um, the necklace and then and the neck. Like you can get forensic experts to talk about does that normally happen, right? Or is that unlikely to happen if somebody is choking somebody? What are the chances of that DNA only getting on the neck and not on the necklace? You know, certain things. I I feel like if the kid had more money, had a better lawyer, you know, because and in a lot of ways, if anybody looks up the history of a murder trials in New York. You're typically in Rikers for like three to five years. Yeah. This trial went to right away. It was like he was arrested, processed, boom, it went to court. But that doesn't happen in New York. No. So it's almost like you can see how everything is getting sped up. So just just on the outside looking in, you, you're like, wait, the, they just want this to be going away right yeah. now. And that goes to show you that how much pressure they were under, not only the judicial system, but also the NYPD to come up with some results. Oh. One also interesting thing that I found out, uh, I was looking into the judge, Michael B. Lewis, um, and I found an interesting article by citylimits.org where they kind of explain how the judge has a history of having overturned rulings, which, which which would make it seem like this judge has a history of making mistakes in certain, in certain trials. Yeah, because... Uh, because there's a thing about getting an appeal, which means they're just trying to overturn. But if they actually over, like you don't get a high overturn even when you appeal. Like right. that doesn't happen that often. But so the fact that he does have a high overturn rate, that should be a red flag right there. And especially with the way, he, with the speed he was moving. Another another interesting aspect that I I I, I just wanted to mention was mm-hmm. that the judge during the trial, uh, Michael B. Lewis, was wearing a purple tie as. You as a it. statement of solidarity uh, for the Vetrano family, which I think is very interesting. That's like a judge making a decision before he he even knows. You know, I mean, why would you why would you support one side of the case? Yeah, because um, when, when people might take it wrong a little bit, what you're yeah. saying. But the only thing is that the parents were very adamant that it wasn't Lewis. They made the decision. No, they were. They were very adamant about that. They were like, no, even the first 
trial they're like no we know it's him it's impossible for anybody else to be it they knew it was him but it was like how how would you really know yeah, that case him? has been cold for x amount of time you you really don't know um but at the time he is convicted so mm-hmm. so it makes you kind of wonder where the judge's mentality is yes you're always going to feel bad for a victim of course of course of course but you can't it almost seems like he was already picked aside and decided hey this kid is guilty i already sided with the family which is unfortunate. And the judge can... The, the thing people don't realize how important the judge is, like, even if it's a jury that decides it, the judge can suppress inform, uh, certain um, evidence that's being brought in. Yeah, because so, when while while a trial is happening, no new evidence could be presented. When you when you do an appeal, yes. Yeah. And in an appeal case, once uh, one, all the evidence that was introduced in your case is the only evidence that can be used in your appeal. Yeah. So we will definitely be keeping our eyes peeled to the appeal. We're we're gonna come back with an update. Um, we are. But if, also, if you guys find an information yes. and you find interesting, send it to us. You know, we help build up another more interesting parts of the case. Like, yeah, we're not. You know, there's parts that we haven't been able to reach through because yeah. investigating is a little harder. We, you know, trying to find people that went to school with Lewis and stuff like that because. You can find it on the internet, little comments, but it's actually finding these people that's the yeah. difficult part. It's but actually if, finding people that are uh, legitimate or, or or at least confirming what they're saying. That's the difficult part because there's so much information out there that you really don't know what to go with. Exactly. Even some news sources have contradicted the information. But yeah, if you see anything, please share it with us. We find this case very interesting. We are looking, you know, if we have enough information, we're willing to do a third part where we go into the information that we've received from, from the listener. Um, but we, it's, it's something that, that we, we just wanted to give you our opinion on and that was important to us. So uh, we're, we're happy that you came and happy that you listened to us. Thank you for that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the alternative idiots. Thank you for joining us. Uh, again, you can follow us on all major podcast platforms, not limited to iTunes, Google play and Spotify. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter and thank you for the support. We really appreciate it. And again, we're from DLC Studios. If you're looking to start up a podcast, just hit us up. Hit us up. Thank you for joining us. Deuces.